The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bibles, as you open up to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off um, last week. Grateful for Jacob uh, faithfully preaching the text last week. We got, um, this morning, we're going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12, and we've got a lot of work to do, so we're going to be moving pretty quickly. This morning, we're going to pick up right in the middle of this uh, text, in the middle of a story, and I feel like that it is important to remind ourselves that what we have recorded in the Gospels is a historical recount of an actual event. That this is something that took place, really happened, that took place relatively quickly in, in the life and ministry of Jesus. Most of this in a single conversation. Yet here we are breaking this into a month's worth of sermons. Now, I don't say that to say that Taking what, what consists of two conversations, one primary with Jesus and his disciples that happened relatively quickly, shouldn't be broken into a series of sermons. I, I, I don't think that's wrong. I, I, I believe it is right. But I do acknowledge that it can tend to cause the flow to be a little cumbersome. Because the narrative jumps around on the page a little bit. And it's important for us to realize that, to know kind of how we're, we're tracking through these four sermons um, and how they relate to each other. I, I believe it's, it's helpful if we think of this event in the terms of four scenes. Last week, Jacob took us through verses 1 through 9, which is scene 1. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away, and other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is scene one Jesus teaching a multitude, a great multitude of people, and doing it with this parable. And notice. There is no ex explanation from Jesus to the crowd as to what he means. He simply teaches them this parable. Mark tells us he teaches them 
other things, but all in parables with no explanation. End of scene one. Scene two then begins in verse two as Jesus leaves the crowd or the crowd leaves Jesus and Jesus is asked a question by his disciples and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's scene two. Scene three, then, is Jesus' explanation of the parable of the, the sower to his disciples. And that relates back to scene one, right? So scene one is the parable to the crowd. Scene two is a question. Scene three is Jesus' explanation of the parable to his disciples. And then scene four which we'll get to in two weeks as Jesus gives some illustrations relate back to scene two. All right, so you, you, are you flowing with me here? Scene one relates to scene three. Scene two relates to scene four. I go over that simply to say that because of that, because of the flow, because we're breaking this into a month's worth of sermons you may leave with some unanswered questions today. You might leave a little confused today. Now, that certainly is not my goal, but nonetheless, it is a potential reality. Jesus' disciples would not have been because this would have happened in a single conversation. So Jesus would give the explanation of what he means in each, each scene right after where we've got some weeks in between it. The reality is that looking at this the way that we're looking at it, there is the building of tension here. And we have to be okay with that tension. And there is some paradox here. And we have to be okay with paradox when it comes to God's word. Just because there's paradox does not mean that there are, are things in God's word that, that discount one another. They don't. They just different views of the same thing. And we, you just have to be okay with paradox when it comes to God's word. There are things that we don't understand. Um, but we see them from different angles, understanding and believing and trusting in God's word that though... They may not seem compatible to us. They are compatible to him. So just hang in there with us over the next few weeks. It also is redundancy, right? So Jacob preached last week, the parable of the soils, and necessarily had to give some ex explanation of what those, the parable is and what those soils are. Well, Next week, I preach the Jesus' explanation of the soil. And so there will be some redundancy. Um, and redundancy is okay. In a lot of ways, redundancy is, is helpful because I'm slow and dense and I need things multiple times. So in today's text, Jesus gives us God's purpose in parables. That's 
what Jesus is, is telling his disciples. He is revealing to them the purpose of God in parables. Why it is Jesus has chosen from this point forward to teach in parables. And God's purpose in parables is to conceal in order to reveal. To conceal in order to reveal. It is common today to think that the parables were just um, feel-good stories. I've probably believed before, and I've, I've certainly heard it said before, that the parables of Jesus exist because they're illustrations to help us understand truths, right? I mean, I've, I've even heard that, that parables are, are heavenly stories to, to make us where we can better understand the truths of God. There are some who use that argument when it comes to preaching, and they will say that we should preach in story form because Jesus taught in story form. Well, that really isn't the case. That's not what we see. The, the purpose of the parables was not to make things clearer to the hearer. Jesus' purpose in using parables was to conceal things. In fact, it's not to make things clearer. The opposite is actually true. It's to conceal the truth from those who would not believe. So Jesus teaches this parable to a great crowd that's gathered around him. Mark in verse 10 says, And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Because they didn't understand the parables. They didn't get the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Some difficult words from our Savior here. So let's look at them carefully this morning. Jesus answered his disciples, the twelve as they asked him about the parables, to say that to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Well, to who? Who is the you here? Well, the you here is those who believe. Yes, it is true that Jesus is speaking directly to his, his disciples. But this isn't only for the 12 that are with him. It's not only true for the 12 that are with him. It's not that those 12 received the secret of the kingdom of God and that, that no one else in history ever has. So when we read those words, to you, we think, and we know, yes, it was to the 12, but it carries on beyond them to include every person who has come to believe in Jesus Christ. 
If you have believed in Jesus, if you have trusted in the gospel, then you have received the secret to the kingdom of God. You have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' language here, right? To you has been given. What incredible language here. What does it mean to be given the secret of the kingdom of God? It means that we are dependent on another to give us this secret, right? Jesus says, it's been given to you. It's been given to you. It's been gifted to you. You weren't able to figure it out on your own. Indeed, they are, they're not. But instead, you're dependent on me to give you the secret of the kingdom of God. That's, that's Jesus. Not me saying you're dependent on me. It's Jesus saying we're dependent on him to give us the secret of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means to know the secret of the kingdom of God is a work of grace. Right? To be given something is grace. God's grace is to give us what we do not deserve. And we do not deserve to know the deep truths of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Yet because God is gracious to us, he gives us the secret. It is the grace of God that we can know and we can understand the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, what is the secret of the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus calls it a secret. To you has been given the secret. So what can we know about it? We can know it's, it's a secret. This is the word mysterion in the Greek. It's also, as you probably can tell, it's where we get the word mystery. And it speaks of something that has been hidden and is now revealed or something that is hidden and needs to be revealed. Um, sometimes when we use the word mystery in, in our language colloquially, I don't know if I said that right. Um, I did? Sweet. Um, sometimes when we use the word Mystery. We can think in terms of mystery as in something that is utterly unknowable. Right? It's a, it's a mystery to us, which it's impossible to know. Right? That's not the way that God's Word uses mystery. That's not the way that we need to think in terms of this mystery or this secret. It's something that is knowable. But it depends on someone else making it clear or knowable. Does that make sense? Here's the perfect illustration. And it's an Old Testament example that's found in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar's having dreams. He's troubled by these dreams. He, don't know, he doesn't know what these dreams are. He doesn't know what they mean. They are a mystery to him. And so he calls all to come to him who have abilities or wisdom or knowledge to make sense of this dreams that, that he's having, these mysteries. He wants to understand what they mean. And so Daniel chapter 2 is, is full of, of these people coming before Nebuchadnezzar, but they're all unable to interpret the mystery of this dream. That is, until Daniel comes. Because God has already proven to be able to use Daniel the interpretation of dreams. And so he's called forward. In verse 27, Daniel answers the king and says, No wise men, enchanters, magician, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king is asked. Same root word as the secret to the kingdom of God. Can show the king the mystery the king is asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And then Daniel reveals the mysteries of the dream. Right? So this is the, the perfect illustration of what this word secret means. So it's something that is hidden, something that is veiled, something that is concealed. That we are dependent on another giving us a, a revelation to reveal what this secret is, what this mystery is. And this is what Daniel does, but Daniel is quick to, to confess that it isn't Daniel who does the revealing, is it? As a matter of fact, Daniel says, listen, it's, it's not about wisdom. It's not about intellect. It's not about ability. None of those things can make this mystery known to you. No human has the ability to do this, but there is a God who reveals mysteries. And he's revealed this to you, what will happen in the latter days. What Daniel's saying is, King, God has given you the secret. So Jesus is saying, that there is a secret, there is a mystery of the kingdom of God that is hidden. But to you, by God's grace, it's been revealed. The secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God. So, what is the kingdom 
of God? What is this secret? What is this mystery that's been revealed that is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? I think the best way to understand and to get a clear picture of what the kingdom of God is is to look at the very beginning of history and the very end of history. The very beginning of history is recorded in Genesis 1 and 2 where God creates the heavens and the earth. And his creation is perfect. His creation is pure. His creation is a paradise. It's a garden. And in that place, there is ultimate provision. There's security. There is no suffering. There is fullness of joy. There is peace. There's perfect obedience. There is worship. There is holiness. And there is close relationship and communion with God. That's what God created in the beginning. That's the garden. That's God's ideal. But not very long into history does sin enter the equation and paradise is lost. God's ideal is gone. God's intention for his creation is broken. That's the very beginning of history. Then at the very end of history, we see something amazing happen. At the very end, we see God restoring all of these things again. We see this in Revelation 21 and 22 and 21 verses 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. In verse 22 the imagery picks up again. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 22, 1 through 5, then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, 
bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What we see in the end is God restoring what he created in the beginning. A paradise, a place of peace, of joy, of worship. Where we are God's people and he is our God and we dwell together with him for all eternity. Created in the beginning but lost. Restored in the end. And all of history from beginning to end has been how God is going to get from Genesis to Revelation. How he will again dwell with his people in holiness. And as God has been moving through time, this has been the great mystery. How do we get back to that place? And there have been veiled illusions of what God is doing. When he calls a man named Abram and says, you're going to go to a place that I will give you. And he makes a covenant with him that everyone who blesses you, I will bless. And anyone who curses you, I will curse you. And from your offspring, the nations will be blessed. Why? Because the nations come before him in Revelation 21 and 22. This mystery of what God is doing is slowly being formed. And we have a promised land, which is a peace. It's a glimpse. It's a foreshadowing of what is to come. And we have the church age, which is an outpost of what is to come. All parts of the mystery of how God is doing this. This was the secret. The secret to the kingdom of God. And Jesus says this secret, the secret of the kingdom of God, of how God is doing this, has now been and was then being revealed. It's all making sense now. It's all cleared up now. What God is doing is clear now, Jesus says. Because the secret of the kingdom of God has been revealed to you. Because the secret to the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God, of how God is going to do this, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. 
the mystery, the secret of how God is going to do this is found in Jesus. The kingdom has come in Jesus. So there's a mystery, there's a secret. It's been hidden all throughout the whole Old Testament. It's hidden. How's God going to do this? In the Gospels, the secret slowly being revealed to those who believe, but being concealed from those who don't. And then Paul breaks on the scene and he busts wide open the secret of the kingdom of God. And he writes things like this in Colossians 1. Verses 24 through 27. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for all ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery, the kingdom of God is the person of Jesus Christ. And now Christ fills us and this mystery is revealed. Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This mystery of how God is bringing all peoples from all tribes and all tongues and all nations into his kingdom to dwell with him in peace and love and joy and holiness from for all of eternity has now been made clear. It's been manifest. It's been revealed in Christ Jesus how the Gentiles are a part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing to restore all things. Revealed to us, made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the secret of the kingdom of God. And this secret has been made known to us, Jesus says. It's been made known to us who believe. But it's not been made known to everyone. Verse 11 in Mark 4, And Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. For those who don't believe... For those who have ears but cannot hear. For those who have eyes but cannot see. Everything's in parables. Everything is veiled. Everything is hidden. So that 
They may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus chose to speak now in parables so that those who are on the inside would know the secret to the kingdom of God and those who are on the outside because of the hardness of their hearts and unbelief could not know. This was his purpose in parables. He says so. You see it here in two words. So that in order that they can see but not perceive and hear but not understand lest they turn and be forgiven now listen that's tough isn't it and there's a big part of me that wants to say yeah but let me tell you what that really means but I, I can't make it say something it doesn't say That's what it says. Jesus spoke in parables so that those who were on the inside could understand. And those who were on the outside would not. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. (laughs) And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. 9 through 10. They may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is a quote from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Isaiah is is called by God to go and speak for him. Sees him on his throne high and lifted up. Trail of his his robe fills the the temple and he sees the cherubim he sees the all of God and his glory and God says who will go for me and here I am Lord send me so God sends him to go and speak for him and Isaiah goes knowing that his ministry would be one that would be marked by the hardness of Israel's heart to his message That they would see, but they would not perceive. They would hear, but they would not understand. And that during his ministry, the people repeatedly ignored the prophet's warnings until their consciences were so seared and their spiritual senses so dulled, they no longer had any ability to understand or respond. But instead, their hearts were so hardened that they could no longer repent. That's the story of Isaiah. And here's Jesus saying that's not just the story of Isaiah and his ministry. But that's the reality even today. And the apostles, the disciples, they knew this. It seems to me that the early church took this verse on as as a, a theme and a comfort, as strange as it is. This, this text in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, is used six times in the New Testament. 
And the apostles understood it to be the reason why Israel would continue to reject the truth. Acts 28 is a good example of that. Verses 23 through 28, here's Paul in prison. House arrest. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He's teaching them the kingdom of God. The way you teach the kingdom of God is you teach Jesus. He is the kingdom of God. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. It was in the purposes of God that Israel reject the truth so that the kingdom of God would go to the Gentiles, to all nations. It was in the purposes of God that the Pharisees not believe. Now understand that in Mark especially, the parables are surrounded by growing animosity and conflict with religious leaders. They have rejected Christ. They had seen, witnessed with their eyes his miracles. And they had heard with their ears his clear teaching. And they had chosen to reject him. And now, as a form of judgment and the fulfillment of God's purposes, the truth of God would be hidden from them in parables. Matthew records in Matthew 13, 34 through 35, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. From this point forward, the religious leaders and the crowds who had followed him and who had seen his miracles and who had heard his clear teaching and rejected him now fall under the judgment of God in the use of parables so that the truth is hidden from them now. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what's been hidden since the foundation of the world. I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter what's been hidden since the foundation of the world. That is the, the, the irony here is that Jesus is revealing the secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God, but he's doing it in a way that keeps it a mystery and a secret from those who do not believe. 
And their rejection of Jesus would ultimately lead to his crucifixion and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. That was the thought that kept coming to my mind this week. They had to reject. Jesus could have, there in their midst, transformed himself into glory. And they would have seen, probably believed. He could have made them believe. He's sovereign. But the purpose of God was worked out through their unbelief. The secret to the kingdom of God is an open secret. Some will believe and others will not. We cannot... We cannot, we cannot diminish the sovereignty of God in belief. That's jumping off the page here. So, we read this text. We read Jesus' words that the kingdom of God is a secret, it's a mystery that there are those who will not believe. So we read that and we think, so what does that mean for us? Right? I mean, does that mean that we sit here and do nothing? I mean, after all, it's a secret. shouldn't tell secrets. So do you just sit and do nothing? See, that if we stop at scene two, that, that might be where we get to. But remember... This is all flowing together. There's a scene four coming that's going to help inform these verses. And scene four is, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. So there is tension here. There is paradox here. So what for you today I thought about that. I thought, what does this mean for us today? What do these verses mean for us today? I think they mean two things. They first mean be warned. Be warned. If you continue to reject Christ, you could, you could get to the point where you cannot repent. Clear teachings of the scriptures. You will come to see, but not perceive. And you will hear, but not understand. The message to every single one of us is one of repentance and faith. So we, we talked about what a secret is and we talked about what the kingdom of God is, but we never talked about how to get in there. How do you get in the kingdom of God? Well, you get in the kingdom of God by repentance and faith. This is the secret of the kingdom of God, how you get in it, by repentance and faith. And guess what? Jesus has already told them that. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee 
proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The secret to the kingdom of God is that God is making all things new and he's doing it through Jesus Christ. And to get into the kingdom of God, you repent and believe. But be warned. If you continue to reject, your heart could be hardened to the point where you cannot repent and believe. That's the first thing for us. Be warned. The second thing is to be worshiping. Because if you have repented and believed, if the secret to the kingdom of God has been revealed to you, then rejoice and worship God that he has, by his grace, revealed the secret to you. And as believers, we should walk away from these verses with joy overflowing because God, by his grace, has revealed the secret to us. And we should worship him for it. And we should worship him for his grace. Now, that's not going to be all of the applications. There's going to be more coming in a few weeks. Because after all, it is an open secret. Before today, be warned and be worshiping. Father, your word is difficult at times. It can be hard to receive. It's been that way since the beginning. Since the beginning, there have been those who have heard and rejected, and then there have been those that heard and received. So, Father, I pray that we would be a hearing people, we would be a seeing people, a perceiving people, an understanding people that would hear your word and see your word and would respond with faith, with belief, with repentance. God, the reality is we're not able to do that. We don't have enough wisdom There's not enough persuasive words on planet earth. But we are dependent on your grace to reveal it to us. So God, I pray we would be warned. We'd be warned in our unbelief and that we would be found worshiping you because of your grace in making the kingdom of God clear to us. It's found in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.